Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Great to see you here today and what a beautiful passage out of Isaiah. We're going to be in John chapter 2, but I wanted you to hear that reading because a lot of that reading that you heard this morning really uh, feeds right into John chapter 2 as we see the, the wonderful heart of God. And that's what we want to see today. As we come to this amazing miracle in John chapter 2, it's actually like a window into the heart of God. Uh, we can get caught up in the details and the details are beautiful and they have such depth to it. But what I'm hoping we can do is to get behind the detail and see the heart of God, how he feels about worship and why that's so important to God, how he feels about you and I. It's revealed very powerfully in this wonderful miracle of the cleansing of the temple, how God is very, very anxious for us to know the future. And here in this beautiful miracle of the cleansing of the temple, we see the holy anger of God. We see all the zeal of God for worship. And this is unusual and amazing. When you come into John chapter 2, if you know your Bible and New Testament, we see in Matthew, Mark and Luke that there are, there's a similar miracle. There's a similar cleansing of the temple. And in Matthew, Mark and Luke, that particular cleansing time is set at the end of Jesus' ministry. This one we're reading in John chapter 2 is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's a beautiful opportunity to know what's on the heart of God. When you see God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, acting in holy anger, when you see his zeal exhibited in this way, we ought to sit up and take notice because there's something amazing happening here and something that we need to hear about today. Before we get to that opportunity, I wanted to show you this wonderful little thing here that we bought for the church family or the church pastors to be able to use within their ministries. And I'm going to turn it on for you. And uh, through the ministries and through your faithful giving, we were able to buy this little PA system. And I'm going to get Graham. That one down, I'm going to turn this one up. And what was really beautiful about this is we only got that this, this week and we used it on Saturday for the first time with our over 50s ministry. I don't know if you can hear that. Can you hear that? And uh, our over 50s, because it was so sunny yesterday, we went up to Mount Barker to uh, have food together in a park and uh, we were jammed into a, a little uh, shaded area or a little uh, shed, a barbecue area. And uh, for the first time, Bill and Christine lead that ministry to our over 50s. And Bill's got a beautiful heart but a very quiet voice. And the first time we used this, Bill was able to share with the 50 odd folks that were there that Jesus Christ is their own hope. And uh, I want to thank you for your faithfulness and giving to the Lord. And this is only a little expression of that I know, but this is going to be able to be used by not only the over 50s ministry, but by our children's ministry, by our youth ministry. Fabulous thing to have when we're having weddings outside, and I want you to know that the gospel is going to go forward just in this simple little device that we're able to buy. And uh, we just thank God for your faithfulness. And uh, I want to lead you in prayer, and uh, then I'm going to go back to the other mic. I'll pray on this one. Can you guys down the back here? Because I can turn it up, I'm just going to be gentle with you. I don't know. <laughs> 
I don't turn it off correctly it explodes it's a bit of a fault with it but we're we're learning to work with it so yeah that was uh, just an exciting day yesterday we had so this amazing miracle that we see in John chapter 2 and I say miracle because it really is a miracle you may not think of it like that when you look at the previous miracle of the uh, water being turned into wine that's that's like as obvious as the nose on your face. But then when you come into this one, you might just think that it's a narrative of Jesus driving the people out of the temple, the money changes and those that were selling livestock. But just pause in your thinking for a moment and think about this. How do you do that in the way that Jesus did without one being subdued by a couple of strong guys who would pin you to the floor and say, what in the world are you doing? People are trying to make a living and you're turning the tables over and throwing the money on the floor and driving the livestock out because the picture we get in God's word is a miraculous event where Jesus takes up some rope and twine that's been left on the floor, no doubt, from people that have bought livestock in. He's wound it together and in a holy anger, in a holy zeal, in this wonderful miracle of God working in this way, he drove man and beast and bird and animal out of that temple. And we have no record of him being subdued by anybody. It seems as though through his holy zeal, he put everybody to flight. We have no record in God's word that anybody was even injured. It seems as though he was able to clear the whole temple. Surely that is a miracle. You just don't think about it unless you stop and think, This is a wonderful miracle of God to demonstrate how much God loves you and how important it is for you to understand how worthy God is of your worship. You'll look, uh, I'll have a slide for you. We'll go through to the slide of the temple if we can. Thank you very much. And here you have a slide. It shows you the outer court to your uh, left-hand side. You'll see just the the edge of the outer court of the temple. And you'll notice the towers on the right-hand side. I hope they're in view for you, but there are four towers there uh, built by the Romans to house the Roman guard and built so high over the top of the wall so that the Roman guard could keep an eye on what's happening at the temple. 
not just so that they could tell their friends about it, so that if there was any trouble, they could get soldiers in there quick smart. And yet we have no record of that either. We have no record of the garrison being upset. We have no record of the garrison being released because of the stir that was in the temple and certainly would have been in the outer court. Had you been watching from that tower, you would have seen animals and birds and cattle and people running out of the temple under the holy anger of the living God. Amazing picture, an amazing picture. But you know what's really beautiful is what's behind this because it is a window it's a window for us to look into what matters to God. Worship really reveals what matters to us. You think about what we worship. What do you worship? What is at the, the center of your heart and the, the center? What is, what's so valuable to you that, it, that oftentimes it's in your thinking? Don't you worship a lot of things like I do? I want to show you a slide of the best motor vehicle God ever made. Now, if you're a Ford person... We have medication for you. Um, if you're a Ford person, you, you'd think this is rubbish. But if you're a Holden person, you'll understand how exciting a vehicle like that is. My dad bought a vehicle, that's not the actual photo, exactly the same as that in 1977. And I wasn't born then. But, um, <laughs> and it may not seem that significant, but imagine you've got a man living in a little place called Bunbury, about that time, there was only about 15,000 people. And my dad was uh, from, he was a successful builder, a bricklayer, a very, from my perspective, a very nice, humble man who was very, very good at what he did. And he'd come from very, very humble roots. And for him to be able to get so successful in his business to buy himself a beautiful ute and to be able to travel around town and it communicated that he was a man who worked hard showed what dad valued in his heart. He valued hard work and that represented the hard work that he did. It, it, it revealed that he cared about his family and that he was a provider. It showed that he was so skillful with his hands that he was able to make enough money to be able to buy a nice ute. And back in 97.7, that was a nice ute. That was a beautiful vehicle to own. What you wouldn't know is that if you were a child or a boyfriend of my sister and you lent on that ute, you basically took your life into your own hands. <laughs> my dad valued that very, very highly as my sister's boyfriend learnt one afternoon, much to his shock and horror. When you come into the temple of God and you see God acting in such an extroverted way, it's not just a story for us to listen to. It must make us stop and think, wow, something significant is happening here. This temple must mean a great deal to God. These people that are violating it, as we will see through money changing, must really wound the heart of God. What's going on here? What do we learn about God from worship? You see, you and I were designed to worship. We were made by the living God and we were designed to worship. But the problem is in this broken world that we're in with our distorted emotions, we end up worshipping the wrong things. We can end up worshipping our wealth and our position, our ute. We can end up worshipping a 65-inch flat-screen TV that presently at JB Hi-Fi is on an incredible price. We can worship so many things, and this is the problem we see when we come into the temple. When you come into the temple, you see the people of God who should actually be enabling the broken and the sinful to find refuge with God, 
to find peace and hope. The very ones that are meant to open the door to humanity and say, come in. This is a place where you can meet God, where you can confess your sins, where you can know the peace of God and the joy of God. But they didn't open that door without a cost. Because even though this actually is a very normal activity, because at this time of Passover, the Jews were flooding into Jerusalem to this feast time, which was a very important feast for the nation of Israel. Uh, Before this time, uh, in all the times within the Old Testament, it was actually commanded that Jewish men attend all three major feasts as part of their part of their devotion towards God. And over time, that commandment eased to the point where every dedicated Jewish man made it his goal to be at least one of these feasts. So this was a big deal. People were coming from far and wide, from other countries, Jewish people who had been separated out into other countries would come to this feast. And you can imagine if you were traveling from Italy, and some did, you wouldn't want to be bringing a goat or a sheep or a ram or you wouldn't want to be bringing a bullock with you. That's a long way to bring an animal and it could get harmed on the way and then you wouldn't have an offering for the Lord. So what they would do, obviously, is they'd come to the temple and they would buy a spotless lamb. They would buy a spotless bullock and they would then offer that to the Lord. But the guys in the temple had worked out that if you travelled all the way from Italy and you wanted to buy something, you could knock the price up a little bit. And they were always going to say yes, because they weren't going to go back home and get another one, were they? It's too far away. They didn't knock the price up just a little bit. They knocked the price up way up. And they put an enormous burden on people coming in. Then there were other people who came, again, from Italy, and they had a different currency. So they would come to the money changers in the temple and want to change their money so they could give to the Lord in the temple. And, of course, there was a huge markup on that too. They wanted to have 50% of what you had given to put in their own pocket. And instead of being people who were actually assisting the brokenhearted, actually assisting the devoted to worship the living God, they had added to their burden. And this angered God and still angers God to this very day. Because when we look at the temple in the nation of Israel during the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, I know that you can make the mental jump because... We don't have that temple anymore. In fact, God's word says to us in Corinthians that we are the temple of the living God. This beautiful promise that's been made through the Old Testament has come to fulfillment that God would write his word on our hearts. And what he was referring to is that what we see in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit came down after the Lord Jesus Christ had ascended into heaven. And that very same Holy Spirit on the confession of our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ comes into our lives and makes us a new creation, dwelling in us, and we are called the temple of God. This building we're in today is just a building. I think it used to be a tractor shed. Am I right? And some very faithful men and women just knocked themselves out to turn it into a place of worship. But at the end of the day, it's a tin shed with a couple of things stuck on the outside of it. What's really awesome are the people inside of it who know the living God because you have actually become the dwelling place of the living God. Isn't that special? Okay. And as a, as a family of God, we are meant to represent God to our community, to our nation, and to our world. We are meant to say to them, this is how you can come to know God. This is the place to come to, to be able to be forgiven of your sin. 
to find true joy and true peace, to find your true identity because you were made not to worship a motor vehicle or a TV screen or a beautiful woman or a beautiful guy or an institution. You were made to worship the living God. And we are the privileged ones who enable them to be able to find the living God that they might worship him. And the tragedy is, and I, I stand with you, so don't think I'm setting you up to slap you around the head, but the very people that are supposed to show the world how to worship the living God are oftentimes so distracted by the temporal things of this world that we have forgotten to worship God and we are worshipping ourselves. We're worshipping our 65-inch TV screen. We're worshipping our home. We're worshipping our superannuation. We're worshipping the lotto. We're worshipping sex. We're worshipping drugs. We're doing all these things. And what we are saying by our worship and by our actions is that we don't believe God can meet our need. And so therefore we are worshipping these other things. How confusing for the world when they look at us as we claim to know the living God and we're no different to them. That's just crazy. And so God comes into the temple, God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And his heart is utterly grieved at what he sees. And his zeal, this is a beautiful word, his zeal for the holiness of God. I want you to learn this because what I want you to show you now are the three things that come out of this. And that is that I want you to see what this says about God. I want you to see what it says about you and I. And I want you to see what it says about our future. I want to begin by opening God's word to you. I'm going to take you through a few passages. Forgive me, I've got a new Bible. I'd love to lay it open, but it just wants to spring shut. I'm going to use it as a mousetrap for a while and then start reading it. So I'm just going to put that down there because I've written it all out on the sheets here. But I want to start with you as we come into God's word. Isaiah chapter 44 and 24. God is worthy of your worship. This is what it reveals. When Jesus came into the temple and saw the way that they had polluted access to God, his heart was full of righteous anger because God is worthy of worship. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made how many things? All things. Who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by... Did he get our help from us? By myself. Our God is our creator. And by virtue of that, he is worthy of all of our attention. When we talk about God being our creator, that means that God intricately wove us together. That means that God is the source of our joy. That means that God is the source of our life. God is our all in all. He not only made us to worship him, but he will judge us also. We belong to him. That's the implication of him being creator. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to the living God. And that's not meant to constrain you. That should bless your socks off. Because coming with that wonderful promise is his love and his forgiveness and his protection and his provision. Psalm 147 and verse 5 says, Great is the Lord and abundant in power. That's good to know, isn't it? It would be sad if we had a God who was pathetic and weak and soft but our God is powerful the one true God is powerful his understanding is beyond come on folks this is going to go a lot faster if you join in I'll make it really painful if you don't okay our God's understanding is beyond 
measure. Now, who does not need understanding? I need understanding. I'm married. I need. I am confused. I need understanding. She's not here. She came to the first service, and I didn't crack that joke. I was too scared. <laughs> we need understanding in our lives. How many times I've found myself in a corner, and I look to my left, and there's a wall. Look to my right, and there's another wall. It's so dumb, I don't even know how to turn around. But my God has understanding, and he is meant to be the center of my life. He made me. I belong to him. I need him. He gives me understanding. Psalm 36 and verse 9 says, You are the source of... And that done that rock. He's the source of this life. And he tells us that there is eternal life. And life comes from him. Our God is the one who has made... He is life. That's just... We enjoy life, but he is the source of all life. Psalm 145 and verse 16 says, You open your hand... You satisfy the desire of? Are you living? Are you part of that every living thing? Aren't we part of that? But tell you what, we look for satisfaction everywhere, don't we, other than God? And I'm talking about myself and I figure you're just like me. Don't we find ourselves thinking that if I just have this thing or if I can just obtain this thing, if I just had a little bit more of this thing, then I would truly be satisfied. One of the most famous songs on the face of the earth talks about not being able to find satisfaction. And that fellow's got everything that we could ever possibly want to have and is still as miserable as all get out. Because you see, we don't find satisfaction in objects, we find satisfaction in the fact that we are related to the living God, that we belong to Him. That's where we find true satisfaction. Same psalm, back to verse 3, says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. <laughs> That's, that sets in perspective, like we could search for... A thousand lifetimes and never understand how powerful and faithful and majestic our God is. And that's really great to know because we're going to spend eternity with him. And every day our God will be a revelation to us because he is so great. It defies our understanding. I can say it to you, but I don't understand it. He is so great. He deserves to be worshipped. You see, that, make that point. I want you to understand what this driving of people out of the temple when Jesus was angry because Jesus, God in the flesh, understood that God is worthy of worship. Just by the very nature of God, He is worthy of worship. All that He's created should worship Him. All that He's created has received life from Him. All that He's created seeks understanding from Him. He is just apart from anything that we could do. He is worthy of worship. That is written across the mountain. That is written across the stars. That is written across all of his creation. God is so majestic and so powerful that he inspires awe and deserves our worship. Psalm 89 says this, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? There is none. That's the implication of the question. God, 
greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. There is none like our Lord, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging sea, and when its waves rise, you still them. And make no mistake, when this psalm was written, there was an eye to the future with the Lord Jesus Christ on the Sea of Galilee, the only one who could stand in the boat and say, be still, and the storm was stilled, and they saw the miracle-working hand of God. You don't find peace and joy that God alone can offer apart from him. Get this, you can find the peace and the joy of God in the midst of the storm with him. You can be in the storm of your life and you can find peace and joy as you meet face to face with the living God. And this is what the temple was supposed to be, a place for people in the storm to come and meet with the living God and declare that he is worthy and to find hope. And the very people that should have been helping them to do that were actually working against them. And God was sick of it. Sick to the back of his teeth. You say that you love me. You say that you love me. And yet your deeds show that you do not. If you love me, obey my commandments. Just that simple. Sick and tired of all the cattle that you've killed, all the sheep that you've killed, all the blood sacrifices that you have made. You have done all these amazing sacrifices and yet your heart has not changed one little bit. You're still in your sin. And I am angry and I am sick of it, God says. I can't do it anymore. I'm tired of your new moons. I'm tired of your celebrations. I'm tired of your convocations. You are hypocrites, he says. We need to recognize that God is worthy of our worship apart from us. And the second thing about God we need to recognize is that we need to worship him because it's actually life to us. Have a look up on the screen, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God made us the pinnacle of his creation and gave us dominion and he met with us in the garden, our our mother and our father, Adam and Eve, and this beautiful picture of communion with God. And then we broke that communion, we broke the promises of God, we disobeyed God And we suffered the penalty of that disobedience, separation from God, spiritual death. This is what is revealed in the temple cleansing as we see the holy anger of God because God recognized, one, he's worthy to be worshipped, but he also recognized this was a place for people who saw themselves as sinners to come and find forgiveness. And rather than assisting them to come in their brokenness and find God, we were taxing them. Making some of them pay more than they were able to pay. When Jesus Christ has paid it all. How wicked, how wicked, how wicked. A picture of incredible hypocrisy as these men who were supposed to be assisting the broken were actually worshipping money and not the living God and so imposing taxes upon them. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 
says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the... So what does that mean? It means that our holy God is worthy of all worship and he cannot abide sin. And so for us to be able to worship the living God and to be able to walk with the living God, we must be without sin. And yet God has looked at all of humanity because of what Adam and Eve did. Sin has cursed us all and we have fallen short of the standard required to be right with God. We are sinners and sin judged brings death to us. The very place that God was designing that men and women could meet with God and be forgiven of their sins was a place that we had turned into a den of thieves. May we never do that with the church. May we never do that with our lives where we say one thing and do another and we actually don't lead people to life, we lead them to death. What does it say about our future? Because we are a broken, sinful people. Please, if I am wrong, come forward. I'll be the first one to bow down and worship you. Just stand up and come forward. There is none who are righteous, no, not one. The people that were money changers in the temple, they were not foreigners. They were our brothers and sisters. They are us. We distort that which God has given us for our own pleasure And we lie about the living God because what we are saying is that we don't find you as the source of all joy and hope. You are not our life. The TV is our life. The car is our life. Our money is our life. Our relationship is our life. Oh, yes, I will give you a cent with my mouth and I'll even traipse into your church. But I don't really believe you. Well, that's just not good enough because God desires and God deserves for us to worship him with everything we have. And one thing we learn from the temple is that though Jesus Christ did this amazing miracle and drove all those wicked people out and no one was harmed, there will come a day when Jesus Christ will judge humanity and many will suffer death, the second death where they'll be cast into the lake of fire and they'll be separated from God and humanity forever and ever. The smoke of their judgment will rise. Let's take notice of God. I want to close with Isaiah. I want you to come back to Isaiah with me. It'll be on the screen for you. Isaiah chapter 1. And I wanted to focus in on verses 18 to 20 because God has, in the previous few verses, completely judged us and judged us correctly that we are hypocrites and sinners and rightly he could move into verse 18 and condemn us to death and there is none who could say to God you're being unfair but the miracle in the temple actually shows the heart of God do you remember I said that it shows our future too because we see the mercy of God in that We see God calling us to remember that he's worthy. But have a look what he says in Isaiah. He says these beautiful words, Come now, Jeff, and let us reason together. Hallelujah. Do you understand what he's saying here? He he is prepared to forgive us. He wants us to come to him and reason with him. And what he means by reasoning is to fall upon his wonderful gift of forgiveness. To come to him and experience his grace and his mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Come now, Jeff. You're without excuse. 
Your sin has brought you death. But come, Jeff. I am not only your creator, but I am your saviour. Come, let's reason together. Oh, that's gorgeous. He says to me, though your sin, Jeff, is like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> I can't read the other part. I've got tears in my eyes. Sorry about that. Though they are. Excuse me. I can't hear you guys. Come on. Though they are. They shall be like what? Isn't that a great invitation? The very God who made us in his image, who is worthy of all worship, whom we have sinned against and broken his law, beckons us, come now. Come now, let us reason together. And if you will be obedient and humble yourself before him, you shall eat of the fat of the land. But if you are foolish and you are hard-hearted and you reject the grace of God, you shall be eaten by the sword. And make no mistake, this is a reference to Jesus Christ returning as the judge of heaven and earth. And the sword always represents authority to judge. And he is the judge. So I beg of you to humble yourself today before the living God and cry out to him, come and let's talk together. Come and let's reason together. Do that today that you might meet him as saviour and as lord. God forbid that you meet him as judge, for there is nowhere to escape. He is worthy of all of our worship. And so when he came to the temple and he saw how his heavenly father's worth and his heavenly father's heart for you was being distorted, he just was full of righteous fury. Praise God that Jesus is like that for us. Praise God that he didn't wink at their sin. Praise God that he showed us how much the Father is worthy, how much he loves us, and that we have a future with him. Amen? Would you stand with me? And I'd like to lead you in prayer. For those of you here today who have never reasoned with God, who have never come to him and found forgiveness, I invite you to do that today. For those of you who, like me, are often where they should not be, you look very fine, I look very fine, but our hearts at times are utterly putrid. And if we were to see each other's private lives, we would be shamed beyond reproach. So let's bow together and let's come back and reason with our God. He invites us to do that. Isn't that just a wonderful thing to be able to do today? What a privilege. Would you like to pray with me? Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that you are the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth. We acknowledge that you have made us in your image. We acknowledge that you are worthy of all of our attention, of all of our love and all of our energy. And we confess that that has not been our life. We have sinned against you. We've broken your law. Many of us have not been a blessing to the ministry. We have been a hindrance to the ministry. And we humble ourselves before you and we want to reason with you. We want to experience the forgiveness that you have promised us in the Lord Jesus. Father, it is you who said to us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. And so we stand before you with our hearts humbled and we ask you to forgive us, please. We ask you to cleanse us from our sin. 
I want to pray for those of you here today that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and yet you feel the Spirit leading you and feel your heart beating and it's time for you to humble yourself before the Lord and ask Him to forgive you. Would you pray along? Father in heaven, thank you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ to die in my place, to pay a price that I could not pay, that I might be right with you again. Father in heaven, I believe you when you say that I am a sinner. I believe you that when you say, if I confess my sins, you will forgive me. So I humble my heart before you and ask you to forgive me. And I invite you into my life to change me, to seal me with your spirit, to make me your child. Thank you for your zealous love for me. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.